Welcome to Rohingya Refugee News, the podcast where we explore critical topics and engage with thought leaders on all aspects of the Rohingya crisis. Our podcast is dedicated to shedding light on the challenges, developments and human stories surrounding Rohingya refugees. I'm your host, uh, Shofi Rahman, and today we have a distinguished guest joining us for an in-depth discussion centered on the recent developments. Professor Imtiaz Ahmed is a distinguished scholar and academic. He was the former director of the Center for Genocide Studies at the University of Dhaka. He has been recognized with multiple awards and honors for his contributions to academia. His prolific writing includes authorship, co-authorship or editorship of over 52 books and eight monographs. Additionally, he has published over 125 research papers and scholarly articles in prestigious journals and his chapters in various edited journal uh, volumes. I'm sure I could continue. So welcome, uh, Professor uh, Imtiaz Ahmed. Thank you. Thank you very much. I first met Professor Ahmed on 10th of December 2019. Uh, it was at the International Court of Justice genocide hearing on Myanmar at The Hague. I didn't actually meet you, but I saw you in the crush trying to get into the court, if you remember. It was a bit of a shambolic uh, entrance that we all had, uh, all of us who had credentials. And you were at The Hague last week. Uh, what were you doing there? Uh, well, this time it was a little bit different. Um, I'm now working uh, on de-radicalization of violent extremist offenders uh, in Bangladesh, uh, working closely with uh, CTC, uh, Counter-Terrorism Transnational Crime Unit of Bangladesh Police. It's an academic uh, and practitioner's collaboration. So uh, what we did over the years uh, was to develop a, a manual of uh, how to uh, go about doing this de-radicalization, which we have done. We have, we have started first with the pilot project and now we are on to it. And so we wanted to share the manual with, uh, with people in the Netherlands. Uh, there is one particular center, ICCT, uh, International Counterterrorism uh, Center, and they work also on de-radicalization. So I just wanted to share uh, their understanding of how they go about doing it and what we are doing, uh, to what extent our manual uh, would be uh, helpful to them, and uh, if uh, you know if they have any suggestions. So basically, to share more on de-radicalization and not so much this time on the Rohingyas. I understand. Uh, perhaps we can return to that in a future podcast. Sure. Um, let's turn now to the situation in Rakhine. As you've seen, there's been a complete breakdown of whatever it was, a ceasefire in Rakhine State from 13th of November. This has led to intensified armed conflict, major offensives by the Three Brotherhood Alliance, including the Arakan Army, and clashes across the region. The Arakan Army has attacked police and military outposts um, but 
the impact on the Rohingya communities is what I want to look at, which is that particularly those in IDP camps, they're trapped. They face uh, severe risks due to the indiscriminate shelling and violence. There's reports of multiple deaths, not just Rohingya community, but across all the communities, Rakhine as well, because of the heavy military response uh, by the junta using helicopters, gunships, naval warships, and so on. There's also humanitarian uh, impact because of the blockade of major roads by the junta. Uh, in fact, this has been highlighted by the United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, who on their statement, I think on the 17th of this month, uh, they say they paint a really grim picture and they say that uh, there are over 26,000 displaced uh, in this recent conflict, adding to the 63 plus, 63,000 IDPs from previous conflicts and around 150,000 Rohingya IDPs in Sitwe and Pokto. So what I want to ask you here, uh, Professor Ahmed, is that how did China and Bangladesh who are pushing for repatriation of the Rohingya to Rakhine this year, how did they misjudge the situation so gravely? Or did they? I mean, their intelligence must have told them that this was going to happen. What's your take? Uh, thank you. Um, well, a couple of things. Uh, one is... Uh, uh, you know, not all states uh, reproduce uh, their life and living or reproduce their uh, economy uh, through stability. There are countries uh, which reproduce uh, their power uh, through instability. Uh, and Myanmar is a classical case, uh, particularly given the fact that uh, Myanmar uh, has been under a military rule, I would say, forever, uh, because even during the Aung Suchi's regime, uh, they were, uh, effectively, they were the power. So, you know, this is a kind of a regime which would want instability rather than stability, because the moment stability uh, comes to a Myanmar military, uh, you know, uh, the need for a military would be, would be less. So instability is, uh, uh, thrives. Uh, I have labeled it uh, in, in some of my writings as military business complex, uh, a little bit different from military industrial complex. Uh, the military industrial complex is the other, uh, you, know, uh, you know, kind of a domain. Uh, countries with a big military industrial complex would want uh, instability in the world so that they can sell weapons. And here you have a military business complex uh, where they thrive uh, when there is instability. So I'm not surprised uh, that they would be doing what, uh, wh whatever they're, they're doing. That's one part of the story. The second part of the story is uh, West, uh, uh, Western countries, I, I don't believe, I, I don't think they are so much keen uh, in, in China's uh, initiative, uh, particularly with respect to the uh, Rohingyas. Uh, and, and there, I think it becomes very complex. You have rightly pointed out that China uh, is one of the you know, one of the few countries uh, uh, which have started a tripartite uh, kind of an arrangement 
Unfortunately, there isn't uh, a, a second one. Uh, China is the only country uh, which has done so far uh, on this. And uh, they're also facing uh, problems because uh, time and again, uh, the international community, particularly the West, would tell Bangladesh uh, that, look, time uh, has not come. Now, that's uh, that becomes a little bit uh, complicated uh, because uh, Bangladesh doesn't see any future, uh, not even a third party repatriation. They spoke from time to time, but uh, the numbers are so uh, few that it doesn't interest Bangladesh uh, at all. Uh, so uh, it's very difficult to know what is their interest uh, of not, uh, you know, because time and again they would say, well, time is not ripe in Myanmar and uh, this kind of uh, uh, conflicts uh, that you now see in Myanmar also becomes easy for them to highlight the fact that it is not, uh, you know, uh, not conducive for the return of the, of the Rohingyas. Uh, now, uh, the Chinese academicians uh, and the researchers who are who look into uh, Rohingya issue and, and Myanmar, uh, they would tell us that look, uh, don't think that Myanmar is one hundred percent, you know, subservient to our uh, our our language and, and, and our ways of looking at things. Uh, it's not that uh, you know they agree to whatever we are saying, and and we we know some of the unrest, uh, particularly in Myanmar, uh, Chinese uh, uh, region, uh, one could easily see uh, that there has been, you know, uh, situations where China also had to uh, come up and uh, and gear up its uh, efforts so that Myanmar uh, would, uh, you know, listen to, uh, listen to them. So we are in a complicated uh, situation. But uh, at the same time, you know, one has to keep in mind that you cannot resolve this issue uh, without, uh, uh, you know, uh, some kind of green signal from Myanmar military. Uh, even if we see, uh, even if we can think about an ideal uh, kind of uh, condition where, uh, you know, Aung San Suu Kyi's party would come back and civilian authority would be restored, even if we have that, uh, you know, idealism, uh, which is really far-fetched, but even if we have that, don't forget, Myanmar military is a state institution. Yes, it is a political party, but at the same time, it is a state institution and it's not going to go away uh, even if a civilian authority returns. So uh, Myanmar military will be there. Now, the point is, and this is I've tried to argue uh, in, in a very recent of uh, very recent paper uh, uh, that uh, I'm contributing to Azim Ibrahim's uh, uh, volume that is coming out, uh, I believe, uh, early next year. And, and one of the argument that I made in that particular piece is you need to come up with a solution where Myanmar military would see the return of repatriate, uh, the return of the, or the repatriation of the Rohingyas uh, more profitable, more profitable than uh, the civilian unrest uh, and, you know, the kind of uh, conflict that is now there. Because, um, uh, in this conflict, also don't forget, uh, there's a role of narco-terrorism, and we can come to that later. Uh, you know, narco-trade has also gone up. So they need uh, they need a uh, kind of a solution, or we need a kind of solution where the Myanmar military would see stability to be profitable. Now, that is something that we have not come up. So I, I refer to the idea of, of, of having a mini Marshall plan, uh, because as you know, the West... Uh, 
uh, Europe uh, developed uh, to the stage it has developed now after the Second World War is largely because of the Marshall Plan. And it is still continuing now uh, with NATO's presence. You know, look at the number of uh, U.S. military bases uh, that you have in whole of Europe. Uh, you know, it's, it's mind-boggling. Uh, but, but you know, having them helps uh, Europe uh, not to focus so much on defense as much as economy. So if Europe can develop through the Marshall Plan, I see no reason uh, why, uh, you know, you can't have a situation of that kind in in Myanmar uh, or in Bangladesh, Myanmar region, where you have a mini Marshall Plan uh, to come up with an economic uh, card which would be, you know, much more profitable uh, than what you have now. So, or, you know, in terms of instability. Yeah. So, so the stability uh, domain has to be uh, entrenched uh, in Myanmar military. Uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, we are not focusing on that. Now, that's very interesting what you're saying, which is um, a mini Marshall Plan uh, for, the, for the region. Now, I remember a paper of yours from 2001 where you introduced some ideas like this. Um, I thought it was quite a groundbreaking paper because you entertain the ideas of revising nationality laws to work uh, to offer work permits and even dual citizenship for those in the border areas and you seem to talk about uh, binational or joint border development projects led by private entrepreneurs and NGOs uh, to uplift those communities at the border and, and of course particularly the Rohingya communities so are you re revisiting those ideas that you had once proposed back in 2001? No, I, I think uh, I, I will stick. I will still st uh, stick to those. I, I think uh, the possibilities are uh, immense. If you look at Europe, uh, uh, you can see uh, that, that you know that happening there in Europe, particularly between France and Germany. You know, uh, look at the enmity they had. Uh, they had three great global wars, uh, you know, Napoleonic War, then the First World War and Second World War. Look at the number of people that they, uh, that both killed, you know, on both sides of the border. But uh, look at them now. Uh, you'd hardly, you know, know that you are passing through a uh, Franco-German border. And I mean France and Germany particularly. So uh, if France and Germany can uh, have that, uh, I, I see no reason uh, why we, why we uh, in this part of the world, we can't have uh, uh, you know something of, of that kind. Um, it, it is true that um, you know population living there they crisscross uh, between uh, you know between countries and uh, similar uh, you know uh, one good example would be uh, Myanmar India border uh, uh, with the, with the Mizos. Uh, I think they have a, a kind of an undeclared thirty kilometers or so uh, where they have uh, you know regular um, uh, marriages uh, between the communities, between the Mizos living in Indian side and, and living in, in the Myanmar side. So if that can happen in, in Myanmar-India border, uh, you know, I see no reason why uh, we can't uh, start imagining something of that kind so that people uh, can live uh, peacefully. So I would stick to uh, that and I would add the mini Marshall Plan as well because 
on the top of this, I think what is required is the Myanmar military uh, having uh, a kind of a, you know, uh, I guess, uh, you know, uh, the word that I'm looking for is an incentive uh, which would help them uh, get uh, away from this military business complex. Uh, and, and the same thing we, uh, the, the, you know, one can bring the United States here. You see, this, the, the problem that we have in the United States, and I have, you know, X number of uh, friends, uh, American friends telling me the same thing. And it's not Noam Chomsky alone. You know, you have you know, X number of people uh, who are not as, uh, you know, left as Noam Chomsky telling that, look, uh, we have the same problem because uh, how to uh, go beyond military industrial complex. Because if you have a military industrial complex where weapons is one of the big, uh, you know, uh, kind of production that you have, uh, you would need uh, some instability or wars somewhere. And that is precisely uh, what we see in the United States. I remember writing a book, uh, a very small book uh, on the return of the Taliban. And uh, and this was just, uh, it got published, I think, within a week or two uh, after the fall uh, of of Americans in in Taliban, uh, and and writing a paragraph there saying that uh, what I'm worried is not that the United States is is leaving Afghanistan, but w- where it will go next. And I, I had no idea that they would go to Ukraine at that particular time, to be very honest. Uh, but I knew that they have to go somewhere, uh, and and here uh, you you know that you know that's a part of the Rush Russia Ukraine war. You know, whatever may be the reasons, um, you have again the flow of weapons and the military interest complex uh, getting reproduced. And now again, uh, I would say that unless and until they find a solution, a way out, and and this is precisely I think what you know one can talk about Donald Trump and 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 how he looked into economy. But given that he is a businessman, I think you know, and with all his uh, uh, weird kind of way of dealing uh, with the media. Uh, but I think uh, th- that is what he was trying to stress upon, you know, how to uh, reproduce an economy uh, without the military industrial complex. And don't forget, during his time, uh, United States did not get involved uh, in any uh, in any war. So my, my point here is you need something of that kind in Myanmar uh, where you have uh, uh, an alternative to a military business complex, uh, something where the Myanmar military would see the return of the Rohingyas to be very profitable um, to them personally and to the country as a whole so that they can sell out the whole idea to the rest of uh, Myanmar, uh, something of that kind. So, uh, you know, uh, whatever I've written back then and, and now with the additional mini Marshall plan, you know, I, I would stick to that and, and start uh, thinking, imagining, because that is how uh, the whole uh, if you look at uh, European history uh, after Second World War, you know, yes, some of those things are returning. Uh, you know, you, one can see uh, some of the, you know, the neo-Nazi and the right wing, they're, they're coming back. And they're coming back because the economy is not doing well. So at the end of the day, uh, you need to uh, look into economy. And, and this is the politics, you know, this is, this is you know, this, they say everything is po- political and and this is the politics that you need to play you, you need to politically sell the idea of economy and make it real uh, to the point that the Myanmar military 
uh, would start thinking, okay, uh, this is something that we can look for and uh, humans can live uh, peacefully. Now, unless and until we go there, I'm afraid uh, Myanmar military would, uh, you know, look into instability. Uh, there are other countries would also look into instability because their economy thrives on that. And if the and if that country is far away, uh, or if the conflict is a little bit far away uh, from the heartland um, or from the capital, um, it's more the better. You know, then you know, uh, then you don't get uh, uh, shot personally. Uh, your family doesn't get shot personally. Uh, so if it is far away, you can always, you know, uh, look at things differently. So I, I think we seriously need to look into uh, uh, this particular option and other options as well. I'm not going to uh, throw away the bilateral approach, the tripartite approach, uh, the ICG approach. You know, there are other approaches as well. I think I talk about almost eight pathways uh, to repatriation. Uh, so I would also, you know, look into other uh, pathways. And, and work, uh, you know, if the image uh, that I can build here is uh, of an octopus. So you have all the pathways and, and then bringing them together in a way uh, where uh, uh, Myanmar military would see uh, a benefit. Because if they don't see a benefit, uh, if they see that it is it would be their defeat, that it would be their loss of power, uh, they would try to keep it uh, as long as, as possible. And that's that's the worrying part. If I want to extend the analogy of the octopus, one of the arms of the octopus is, of course, uh, that which represents the Rohingya. And, but this approach that you have just outlined, a mini Marshall Plan, as one of the arms of the octopus, um, th this requires proper sequencing, surely. Because if you have a situation like now, which is an unsafe Rakhine. And if you have a pilot repatriation uh, project underway, which is trying to push Rohingya to go back to Rakhine, then everything could become seriously complicated and a repeat of the past. So I want to just again take you back to my question, which is that Shouldn't Bangladeshi ministers like Sharia and Momen now ought to face a barrage of questions like, what were they thinking? I mean, the last time violence broke out in Rakhine was only October of last year, of 2022. It isn't that Rakhine is suddenly safe um, because of many years of peaceful coexistence between all parties. It hasn't been safe. So surely your schema requires sequencing so that you get it right, so that no one is endangered, Rohingya, no Rohingya is endangered. Because at the moment, pushing people back into Rakhine through this pilot repatriation could dismantle this entire scenario. Would you not agree? Um, yes, uh, you know, on the return, I think uh, what uh, what uh, should matter, uh, and that should be the only thing that should matter, is whether uh, the returnees or the Rohingyas agreeing to the repatriation or not. I don't think uh, it depends on on Myanmar or or Bangladesh. If they want to return, that's that's the you know uh, barometer that has to be looked into. 
uh, and that's the yardstick, you know. Uh, so uh, one has to bring that agency uh, in the discussion. Um, now, the point is, uh, Myanmar has always been unstable. I don't think there has been any stability uh, in in Myanmar. Uh, the point is how how far you know, uh, it would go because uh, there are theories uh, flowing from the West that, uh, you know, United Myanmar uh, uh, is not going to stay and there will be series of Myanmar, etc. Now, those kind of scenarios uh, would make the Myanmar military even, uh, even you know, uh, hard to negotiate. Uh, and one can see, you know, you, you can start working on those things, but it, it's not going to uh, help Myanmar uh, come up with uh, uh, an understanding that okay, uh, let's dismantle Myanmar uh, because uh, this is how uh, things uh, will go. Because they would try to stop it uh, as long as they're alive. Uh, my my point here is uh, the octopus. Uh, you know, as I said, I don't want to leave other things uh, out. Uh, the ICJ and ICC processes are very important. Because Myanmar knows today or tomorrow um, the verdict will be against them. Already uh, the two judgments that have come uh, went against them. Uh, in the judgment, but I'm talking about ICJ uh, judgment, uh, both the judgments uh, have um, uh, recognized uh, Rohingya, uh, Rohingyas. So that identity is not going to go away. Uh, so these are uh, unique developments. And not to mention the, the national unity government in exile uh, is now ready to recognize the Rohingyas. In fact, uh, uh, I had several sessions uh, with them, uh, you know, uh, on Zoom, uh, and and I've heard them saying that, uh, you know, I've heard them using the word Rohingyas. They don't have uh, that uh, problem. Uh, so uh, Myanmar knows very well that uh, the ICJ, ICC process, slow they may be, but uh, today or tomorrow, uh, those judgments uh, uh, will be against them. And then uh, what would happen? Because there will be issue of reparations and other things as well on, on those judgments. So uh, I guess that there is a pressure on their part to resolve uh, this uh, particular thing. Because the quicker they can resolve, if they can have some, uh, you know, uh, re uh, repatriated, then they can say that, look, intent to destroy is not there. Because the whole idea of ICJ and, and the Genocide Convention is intent to destroy in whole or in part. But if they can show the repatriation, uh, if they can start the process, they can say, look, uh, you know, the intent to destroy is not there. If the intent to destroy is there, then why would we uh, want them to return? So there is uh, pressure and this pressure has to be uh, built up, no doubt, uh, in, in a bigger way. Uh, so I would not leave out that, uh, you know, that leg of octopus or that hand of octopus. Uh, but as well, uh, but at the same time, must develop other hands as well. So, and mini Marshall Plan would be one of the hands that uh, one can start negotiating with them. That look, uh, let's think of a consortium. And I'm, I don't want one country. Yes, here maybe one particular country would be interested. And China, of course, uh, is in a position uh, to think of a mini Marshall Plan. Uh, but I, I, I'm sure uh, they would also be interested. Uh, in other countries joining in the consortium because it's an economic uh, development. And if there's an economic development, you know, there's a win-win situation. Uh, so, you know, you can invest, uh, but at the same time, uh, you can have uh, construction materials or 
uh, technology coming from different countries of the world. And we have seen uh, that happening even in, in Bangladesh with, with some of the uh, investment. Um, I'll just give you a quick one. Uh, the Japanese have invested uh, in, the, in the new terminal, uh, in the, uh, you know, but uh, at the same time, um, uh, the Chinese companies, uh, the Indian companies, South Korean companies were all involved. Uh, because th th this is the capitalist world. You're not going to bring everything from Japan to build a, a terminal in Bangladesh. Uh, you need things from, uh, you know, you need things uh, where, uh, you, you know, you look for opportunities to buy them uh, in, in a cost-effective way. And so uh, even the elevated expressway uh, that was built uh, with Chinese support, but uh, there were Indian uh, components. Uh, uh, also, uh, I think uh, the one, uh, the other, no, the elevated, uh, no, the metro rail, the metro rail was a Japan uh, JICA funded, uh, but, there, but, but there were Chinese components, there were Indian components. So my, my point is, if you have a mini Marshall plan is, is, uh, in this multipolar world, you're not going to see one country benefiting from uh, that or one economy. Uh, so you can have a consortium of that kind. But if one, one needs to start, you know, giving this idea to the military uh, from both sides. I, I mean, you know, I, to Bangladesh government and of course uh, Myanmar military uh, to see how they can work uh, together uh, because uh, if there's a mini Marshall plan in that region uh, I believe both the countries and more than you know even beyond Bangladesh and, and Myanmar other countries would also benefit so that's one of the uh, hands of, of the octopus uh, but uh, I, I'm not ruling out uh, other other hands you know or other legs as well uh, those are uh, equally important. So, but somehow we, we, we are not focusing on out-of-box understanding of things. I think, you know, uh, imagination is something, you know, Einstein used to say imagination is more important than knowledge. And here one has to build on the imagination. So uh, I, I understand, you know, uh, the point that you are referring to. Uh, yes, there's instability. And I say, you know, I, I don't, I'm not at all surprised I would be rather surprised if there is stability in Myanmar. So instability is, is, is the norm there. And how do you change that instability? That is, I think, the game that we need to play. We can't wait year after year. Well, let stability come. Let there be ideal situation. Let their democracy come in Myanmar. And then we'll have the repatriation. Come on. It has never happened anywhere in the world. You know, so I guess instability is something and we need to play with that instability. Start imagining, start thinking, and then start seriously negotiating uh, at, at different levels. You know, we can start at uh, track two or track three level and then gradually uh, uh, raise that up to one and a half and then up to into uh, uh, track one and, and to see uh, what is happening. Because even after uh, the repatriation, you would need a mini Marshall plan uh, to uh, reproduce that stability. So, you know, uh, as I said, ideally, one can start thinking in many ways, but um, uh, I, you know, I, I don't want to rule out this particular uh, particular hand because I think it's very important to start thinking uh, even when you have this crisis. And as they say that every crisis is an opportunity, I think this is the best time to talk about a mini partial plan and 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 and, and you know, seize that opportunity uh, to make the Myanmar military understand that there is a better life, there's a better way to reproduce their uh, economy uh, and, and not just military business complex. 
It's precisely this that concerns me, Professor Ahmed, which is that uh, you have characterized Myanmar as a place of instability. This is what uh, what it is and uh, has been. Uh, it's almost like some of the arguments that I've heard proponents of repatriation say, which is that there's always been military rule in Myanmar and uh, therefore, you know, it's nothing new that uh, the Rohingyas are facing if they go back. But there's a peculiar feature of this military rule, which is uh, genocide. Um, so what I'm saying is that it's a it's a very particular issue that we're dealing with. It isn't just military rule um, and instability, which is a feature of this country, but genocide is also a feature of this country. And what I consider short-termism is this kind of push, this kind of pilot repatriation push so that people go back. You seem to be thinking that this is flows from the, if you like, the the spectrum of, of events happening in, in Myanmar, which is that there is instability, there is military rule, we will get people back and we will have these other arms of the octopus, mini Marshall Plan investment at the border and so on and so forth, and it's all fine. But I'm saying that it's not fine because it's genocide. I'm saying your ideas regarding Marshall Plan and, and investment at the border and all these other uh, things are good, but these peculiar features of Myanmar, I think you're possibly underestimating the, the, the nature of it, which is genocide. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good point, you know, uh, as, and I pointed out very clearly that uh, I'm not going to rule out ICJ, ICC processes, uh, even the processes taking place in Argentinian court, those are absolutely uh, fine. But but keep in mind, uh, the international community, after uh, the fall of Aung San Suu Kyi, uh, the investment went up. Uh, one of the figures that I have, it went up um, as much as 17% and bulk of it from the, from the West. It's not from China. And number one of the investors now, uh, as we talk, is Singapore. And everybody knows that uh, Singapore's investment in uh, Myanmar uh, has many shades, you know, because bu- bulk of the international community of the West uh, invests through, uh, through Singapore. Uh, so, you know, uh, when you look into those figures, when you see uh, investment uh, from, uh, you know, countries, even Canada, which is involved in ICJ process, uh, also has uh, investment. Uh, I think the only country which made an exception and which really did not have uh, investment uh, of that kind is New Zealand, which came out openly and said no investment. Look at Burma ad. This is the interesting one. I think that the point that you're making, look at the Burma ad that Joe Biden came up. They had to uh, come up, um, uh, you know, changing uh, one clause, uh, and that is no imports uh, from Myanmar can be stopped. Now, that's this is interesting. You know, lo- look at it, you know, uh, look at this Burma ad and it shows Perfectly all right. And it clearly gives, uh, you know, a signal uh, or gives uh, enough, uh, you know, kind of space for Joe Biden uh, to start thinking uh, of supporting some of the, uh, you know, insurgents uh, militarily. Uh, That is also there. Uh, But, uh, you know, they had to change the clause that no imports 
because uh, ready-made garment is, is is a big one where uh, you know the U.S. investors uh, they, they profit or the international community profits uh, from it, uh, and of course there are other uh, items as well. So that that shows uh, the double standard uh, of the international community who are very high up on this issue. Oh, they can't go, you know. Uh, because of the instability, the crisis, and the genocide, and etc. Look at even on the issue of genocide. You know, um, well, in the beginning, only two countries got involved: Canada and and Netherlands. Uh, but then slowly, uh, yes, now you have few more countries saying that we want to join. Uh, but when it comes to saying, are you going to put money? Uh, they are still silent on that. And this is the complaint the Gambia had. You know, the Gambia delegation, which came here in Bangladesh, really pointed that out, that look, you know, if you want to have, uh, uh, you know, a case in ICJ, uh, it's, it's very costly. It's not a cheap thing. And so uh, they're running out of money. And still, uh, so I was asked, I think, day before yesterday only, because few more European countries say they want to, you know, uh, join this ICJ. Uh, and, and what do you think? My immediate response to them is, are they going to put money? Yes or no? Because the same question I asked uh, U.S. officials uh, when they came to Dhaka, because as you know, Blinken said that Myanmar committed a genocide, and my question, and this was almost this is over a year, and I said, okay, fine, but uh, are you uh, uh, joining the ICJ and are you committing funds for the ICJ? And uh, they were quiet, and they said, oh, uh, you you have to see, uh, we have to wait and wait and see. So my my point here is with the investment uh, in Myanmar. And you can look at those figures. That has not stopped. It has gone up. Uh, 17%, as I said, uh, but that's an old figure. You, you have to, uh, you know, uh, get a more recent one. Uh, and you can easily see that, uh, you know, they are more into business because it's now very easy to get uh, investment done in Myanmar. Uh, given the situation that Myanmar military is in now, uh, given the unrest inside Myanmar, uh, and also the pressure from the international community, uh, any investor can bargain, uh, you know, maybe earlier it was 60-40, but now it can be 70-30 or even 80-20 because Myanmar military would want an investment, uh, whatever, uh, maybe, uh, you know, uh, what you call, they are not going to bargain uh, on, on their share. Uh, even if the share is small, they would be, they, they would say perfectly all right. So it would go, I, you know, I, I think, you know, my my sense tells me that 80-20 would also be good for, for them. So, uh, and, and, and the business people are actually bargaining and, and investing and uh, uh, trying to keep there because, uh, you know, it, it helps them to bargain. The part, but the point is, if you, if you need a Marshall, mini Marshall plan, uh, if you want to do a Marshall plan kind of thing uh, or infrastructure development or something of that kind, you would need stability. You, can, you, you, you can't have... You know, all economies not require, as I said, uh, stability, but infrastructure development, you know, roads, building, highways, you know, bridges, you would need stability because you don't want to build and break it at the same time. Uh, so there is a catch-20. You know, it is the point here is, uh, or the chicken-egg kind of a thing, you know, which one you want to start with, you know. Uh, and and I, I don't want to look at things in, in a positivist way that you do one after another. No, you do it collectively and you never know how one will influence the other. Now, here there's the initiative of China 
And I've been telling, uh, you know, uh, in, in several of my papers and also publicly uh, meeting those people that why Japan is not starting a, a tripartite approach, why India is not starting a tripartite approach, because they have good relations both with Bangladesh and Myanmar. Why it is only China? Now, they don't have an answer. I, I got one answer from the Japanese. They said uh, initially they also thought about a tripartite approach, but it fizzled out. I said, well, if it fizzled out, you can always, you know, start doing it now. Uh, uh, but uh, no, nothing of that has come up. So if you had series of uh, uh, tripartite approach, uh, then uh, the pressure would be uh, huge. Uh, and of course, this tripartite approach would also guarantee uh, uh, what you call uh, the security uh, of the returnees. Don't forget, you know, uh, any tripartite approach is not just done uh, on papers. You know, they have to look into the security uh, and and see how uh, they can, uh, you know, maintain a kind of uh, stability and peace so that the refugees uh, are not harmed. But on that, I have said, you know, it, it is the Rohingyas, they have to agree uh, to the to the return. So, you know, uh, as, as a Bangladeshi, I, I can't talk on their behalf. Uh, you have to go on that and and Bangladesh has agreed on the non uh, non reform uh, policy of you know not forcibly returning them so I don't think that should be a problem but the point is uh, just saying okay no they can't go and at the same time not doing anything for them doesn't really help the Rohingyas because the life they live in the in the camps you know if you visit the camps you'd know it's not living it's, it's not living it's, it's hell on earth you know, yes, you can see, you can tell, okay, and they, and I, I, have, a, I have a book recently published uh, with uh, one of my young colleagues, uh, Dr. Niloy, on the narratives. Uh, we collected, uh, you know, over 200 narratives, uh, life stories, uh, micro-narratives or life stories of the Rohingyas, and I came out with this particular book. I think it was published uh, well, last year already. Uh, and uh, that book, uh, you know, uh, tells you very well, yes, uh, they find uh, stability, uh, sorry, security uh, in uh, Bangladesh, but uh, their future is uncertain. Now, there on the Myanmar side, they had certain insecurity and here they have certain security, but the future is, is, is uncertain. Now, when future becomes uncertain, uh, you can't keep them like that. Uh, you know, today or tomorrow, uh, things will go bad. And one can easily see that, you know, you can't keep, uh, you know, people in, in the camps year after year after. Uh, look at what has happened in Gaza. So my point here is, uh, I'm not comparing the situation in Gaza. And, you know, that's, you know, Gaza is, 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 is really, 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 really bad. But my point here is you can't keep people year after year after year like that. You need a solution. Now, to say that, yes, uh, there's a crisis there in, in Myanmar, there's instability there, and this is not the right time, and not doing anything, that is not the way. I think you need to do something. I'm, you know, I don't know whether the pilot project would happen or not, whether China, China would continue you know, with this uh, tripartite approach, uh, whether Bangladesh should go for it. But I can see the international community not helping at all. They're not helping in the ICJ process by putting funds as much as required. And it is only now they're saying uh, that uh, uh, a genocide has, has happened. Uh, now that uh, could have other reasons. And one good reason would be the Russia-Ukraine war, of course, 
because they also say that Russia has committed genocide. So now they have to say, well, Myanmar military has also committed uh, genocide, but not doing anything really, really doesn't help. So my, I, I, I see your point and absolutely valid. And I, I think uh, those are the things that need to be addressed. Uh, their security is absolutely paramount and, and not, not to you know, point out, as I said, the Rohingyas have to agree. If they don't agree, if they, if they don't see security, uh, then uh, it's not going to work. So we need to do something. And uh, here is one initiative, which I just I will not just throw away uh, because you have instability. Yes, there is instability, but uh, you, you, you never know. Uh, because if you involve more countries, one after another, and one can talk about uh, even the United Nations getting involved uh, in the return process and to look into the security, uh, then uh, that uh, pilot project uh, can uh, make a difference. We don't know, actually. Uh, but as I said, it all would depend on the Rohingyas. If they say no, then it's no. But if they say, yes, we are ready to take the risk because nothing is happening. I don't want my child, you know, grow in a refugee camp year after year. Uh, if they take us back uh, and then with a certain identity restored, that's very important. There has to be citizenship, etc. Those things need to come into the agreement uh, in the understanding, uh, you know, and, and develop accordingly. But at the same time, if you have uh, mini Marshall Plan kind of approaches as well, um, it could uh, make uh, Myanmar military uh, softer. That's the point. So how do we do? And this is where you need, uh, you, know, you know, you need a kind of professionalism, a kind of diplomacy uh, to work. So I, I you know, I, I'm, I, I, I say that you need to see the half glass full all the time and not the half glass empty. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not in the process of, you know, I'm not in the negotiating teams. I have, I have no idea uh, who is doing and, and what they're doing. But my hunch is that unless you come up with, uh, an octopus imagery and start working on all the hands, uh, I, I don't see a solution coming out of the issue. The, on the sixth anniversary of the 2017 crisis, the Bangladesh National Party and Tariq Rahman, its heir apparent, they criticized the Awami League government and Sheikh Hasina for failing to repatriate Rohingya refugees in the six years, I could say they are guilty of historical distortion and revisionism in the remarks that they made because they seemed to think that everything was hunky-dory with, uh, with the repatriation. It certainly wasn't. <clears throat> Excuse me. So how do you think the Rohingya issue plays out uh, in the coming elections, if at all? Uh, not so much. Uh, because they are not voters. Um, their issue has not uh, become a mainstream kind of an issue. Uh, so uh, this particular election, the national election that we are going to have on 7th of January, no, I don't think um, Rohingya uh, issue is a big issue, but uh, still, uh, you know, the government, uh, you know, uh, if they can come up with some uh, solution or if uh, process of repatriation can start uh, before the election, they would try to highlight that as well. I think that much I can say. 
but I, you know, but suppose there is no repatriation. Suppose the pilot project uh, is not on uh, because uh, the Chinese are still hopeful that uh, uh, some form of repatriation can start um, even before the election. They don't see election as an issue uh, with the repatriation. They 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 lo they're looking at it, uh, you know, independently of what is happening in Bangladesh politics. So. Uh, it's, it's difficult, uh, but uh, no, it's not, a, it's not a big issue. Uh, but at the same time, uh, if uh, Bangladesh government can come up with a solution and can start, uh, you know, uh, even the pilot project, probably they are going to flag that as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm sure they're aware of the risk that you were mentioning, you know. They're aware of, uh, you know, what can happen after the repatriation. Uh, if there is a greater instability, then what what will happen? But don't forget, there are you know nearly uh, I think uh, seven hundred thousand Rohingyas as IDPs uh, in in Myanmar. So there are Rohingyas already in in Myanmar. Uh, so it's, it's 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 difficult to say at the, at, at this point. But no, it, it's not a big issue uh, in in Bangladesh politics uh, at least at this moment. In the past, I would say that. Um the Rohingya issue has been exploited um, during these times because it seems that political parties want to seem tough on Rohingya. If you're sending them to Bashanchor or if you're sending them back to uh, Rakhine State, uh, it plays well with the, with the electorate. Why do you think that is, uh, Professor Ahmed? Well, you know, there are local issues as well, don't forget, because uh, Cox's Bazar region has been overwhelmed uh, by the Rohingyas and uh, uh, and they have suffered or they're suffering now a little bit, particularly on the issue of Yaba. Don't forget uh, narco-terrorism. This is one of the things that um, Myanmar military knows uh, very well of how to, you know, how to go about using narco-terrorism. Uh, so Yaba, um, the flow of Yaba, and you know, if you have forty thousand people per square mile, you know, but uh, look at some of the uh, some of the what you call figures on the issue of violence. Now, since uh, my center, Center for Alternatives, now uh, we still keep uh, the uh, you know violence figures. This is a project that uh, uh, that UNDP helps us uh, has helped us build it, and still helping us. Uh, and this, we map violence of 26 categories throughout Bangladesh. Uh, and we have uh, data of over 11 years. Uh, this is the largest data on violence uh, in, uh, in Bangladesh. And if you look into those data, and you can yourself get into that uh, platform, it's called Bangladesh Peace Observatory. Uh, and you can look into the data. We keep data also on the, on the Rohingya uh, violence. Relatively speaking, the region in Cox's Bazar uh, has uh, has less violence than some of other uh, regions of Bangladesh. That's an important, you know, uh, kind of, uh, at least even I, uh, you know, looking at the figures, when I first saw it, I was quite surprised. So my, my point here, my point here is, uh, you have a very peaceful uh, 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 population there, but at the same time, uh, they're getting restive. And so the local population, uh, you know, the host particularly, Yes, uh, they were very engaged uh, when, uh, you know, uh, back in 2017, uh, they welcomed them all. Uh, they literally 
uh, allowed them to stay, uh, some of them in their own houses, in the veranda, in their own, you know, backyard, you know, uh, that was the situation. Uh, because Bangladesh uh, also knows what genocide is all about, uh, what refugees in the whole, whole of Bangladesh is a, is a uh, you know, it, uh, came out of, of, of a refugeehood. One should not forget it. So 10 million refugees, you can well imagine probably every house uh, knows uh, one refugee or other. So my point here is uh, that uh, kind of a situation, um, uh, you know, after five years or six years, you know, you can't have that same thing. And so, uh, yes, unrest is building, though, as I said, it's, it's still relatively uh, calm compared to some of other districts. And I can back that up uh, with, with figures and with evidence. Um, but still, I would say, uh, you know, some of the things have really gone up. Uh, one is narco, uh, one is this uh, Yaba, uh, flow of Yaba. Now, the Rohingyas are not consumers of Yaba. This is an interesting part. You know, they are not consumers of Yaba historically for some reason and no one knows why. Uh, but um, uh, they have become uh, the middle person and uh, there are figures where if they can keep, uh, you know, the, the, the Yaba uh, consignment for one night, uh, this much amount of money they get. And uh, that is the only activity, economic activity you see because, you know, they can't work. And uh, more interestingly, and the reason why I was working on, on this issue, because I was trying to tell the international community that, look, here you have a narco trade. Uh, now, they can't invest in Bangladesh. They can't keep the money in uh, our banks. Uh, they can't build anything. So what they do? Uh, they money launder that uh, to the West. In fact, uh, the narco terrorism in the Rohingya camp is helping uh, Western economies, you know, to put it bluntly. <laughs> So what they have done is uh, somehow they have managed to send their son or some family members uh, there and uh, this uh, money goes uh, all the way to some of the developed countries and they keep quiet. You know, whole of Bangladesh money laundered. You know, I, I, I've always maintained that more corruption you have in Bangladesh, uh, the more the developed countries benefit because, you know, the corrupt money ultimately goes to Canada or to Malaysia or Australia and, you know, Dubai or, or United States and UK. Don't forget UK also in this. Uh, they benefit from our corruption. Now, this is not something I'm saying. This is, you know, uh, you know, uh, well-founded researchers of the West are saying. And even uh, Guardian, uh, you know, uh, wrote a fantastic piece on this, how UK benefits from uh, all this black money and, 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 and or white money and, you know, the, the money laundered uh, it's called the money laundered capital. Yeah, that's Guardian's uh, I think statement was money laundered capital of the world. So uh, I think we have to be very realistic uh, on, on this uh, because uh, the local community, uh, you know, would want to see uh, them go back, no doubt, uh, because uh, uh, they, they see that this is uh, this is one issue that's you know, now they see that it's not going to get resolved. So what you know what to do? Uh, but uh, on the on you know if if you can see in, in a bigger way, uh, still I would say uh, the local uh, and the Rohingyas have a have an interesting relationship. I would say a very you know cordial relationship as of now. You don't see a, a, you know up until now th there has not been any serious riot in those 
places. This is this is in a absolutely, uh, you know, it's mind-boggling. How is it possible? Uh, where in Chicago or in in some of the European countries, uh, European cities, you see, uh, you know, uh, riots. And uh, one recent one is in Ireland, where also it was uh, anti-immigration, etc. Now here. Uh, in the Kotsil Bazaar, up until now, you, you don't see that. So there is, there's still, I would say, good feelings. You know, uh, yes, the good feelings uh, are, are getting less and less. But uh, compared to some of the cities in the West that you see where you have riots, uh, that has not taken place, uh, even during the pandemic, uh, which is quite unique. So, uh, but, uh, you know, one has to look into solutions. Now, the problem that I see, and I, I tried to flag out in, in one of my papers, I think, if I'm not wrong, is that, you know, there could be a situation where Bangladeshis might uh, help them uh, in different ways to the Rohingyas uh, to, uh, you know, uh, make their claims of national identity. And uh, they can come up uh, supporting them with logistics. That is one problem. Now, the issue of empathy can go to the extent of supporting them logistically and even with materials. And that can happen in, in Bangladeshis have done that uh, in, in, you know, we have this, it's, it's, a, it's a unique people uh, which is ready to help uh, uh, any uh, uh, anyone uh, who is suffering. And, and that's the reason why we, are, uh, we had been so much with Vietnam during the Vietnam War. We have been so much with the Palestinians even now. Uh, we have been so much uh, with the South Africans uh, with Nelson Mandela during the apartheid regime. You look at some of these cases, it's a very unique uh, country. And we have also a constitutional obligation. Don't forget, there's a clause in Bangladesh constitution which tells that uh, we would support, uh, you know, the freedom-loving people uh, of the world, something of, of, of that kind. So so I, I, I see, uh, yes, uh, it's getting less, but uh, at the same time, uh, it, it's not. Uh, uh, it has not reached a situation where we need to be alarmed by it. Uh, but then, you know, you, you need a solution. And if uh, if there is no solution, then maybe uh, some Bangladeshis would start telling the Rohingyas, "Okay, let's let's join hands and uh, do something, you know, serious, you know, because uh, nothing is happening." That that is a possibility. I will not rule out. Hmm. On that uh, note, we should uh, end this podcast. Thank you very much for uh, taking the time to speak to me. I look forward to your mini Marshall Plan ideas in Azim Ibrahim's forthcoming book. And uh, just to say that I will be holding a podcast on the narco trade uh, and, and, the, and the Rohingya camps in the future so maybe we'll get your thoughts in the future again thanks very much indeed professor ahmed no thank you thank you very much take care